but I'd like for us to uh, move into our time of prayer. We're beginning today uh, this uh, four-week series just looking at generosity and stewardship, and uh, we're calling it the, the fruits of the kingdom, uh, and you'll see why as we go through uh, what that might, why it's called that, and so I'm just going to ask that we uh, begin with a time of prayer, uh, and then I'm going to uh, uh, have you watch a, a little video before we get into uh, Luke chapter 3, all right? So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, uh, looking at John the Baptist and how he prepared for the king, how he prepared for the king in Luke chapter 3, the message he shared. Uh, so let's uh, start with a word of prayer. I felt like money was the answer to a lot of my problems. That if I had more money, I felt like my husband would love me more because I was able to put more into the household. I thought my friends would think more of me because I could give them more. And so I was trying to meet that need on so many levels with so many people. I started getting so to where I was hoarding and keeping things and keeping money, you know, stored back. but. Then things happen, I lost that money. God put on my heart, that's not what I give you, what I give you. I give you this so that you can do things for others who don't have the ability to do for themselves. That changed a lot of that in me. I had an occasion to go pick up a prescription. I normally never go to the pharmacy. I usually call it in, but for some reason, and I'm gonna say it was the Holy Spirit, said go, drop it off. And when the pharmacist said, do you wanna wait? I said, yeah, I'll wait. So I'm sitting there, a lady comes in. I hear her talking to the pharmacist saying, well, I just don't have the money for that. I don't have the money for that. So again, the Holy Spirit just nudging me. I got up and I said, let me pay for the prescription for you. And the pharmacist looked at me and said, are you sure about that? And I said, yeah. So before, I didn't even ask how much it was. I just took my card, I swiped it. And then I went to sit back down. So when the lady got the prescription, she came over to me and she said, why would you do that? And I said, because I could. So she said, do you mind going with me out to my car? I said, no problem. So I go out to the car and there's an elderly lady in the car and the lady is just about in tears. She says, mom, this lady paid for your prescriptions. And she looked at me, she took my hand, and she said, baby, why would you do that? And I said, because God has blessed me in so many ways, and I just want to be a blessing to someone else. And it just, I mean, it touched my heart just to be able to do something like that for someone. So I got home that day, I told my husband about what I had done, and then when the um, credit card bill came, he said, Jennifer, do you know how much that prescription was? I said, no, I didn't even ask. I'll just say the amount was over $400. But you know, when God lays that on your heart, and obviously he put me there at a time when I needed to be there, you don't question about how much it's gonna cost. So to be able to do for others without knowing who they are, not expecting anything in return, but you get so much back in the return. I am so much a better person, so much a happier person. You just, just no way to even describe it. So if you were like me, um, after hearing the ending of the story, I was still asking the question that everyone was asking her. Why did you do that? What? For over $400, 
Um, and, and that's the, the question that video leaves us with. Why do you do that? Why would anyone do that? Why am I presenting it to you uh, as perhaps a good example? Uh, why should we be this level of generous? Uh, and so I want to answer that question over the next few weeks that by this time together, even today, even in, in the few weeks to come, that you can know firmly, concisely, why be generous. Um, and I would just would present to you that as we read the New Testament together, we'll see that generosity is not extra credit. Generosity is not just for the really sweet folks. Nor is generosity for just the wealthy people. Uh, and so we're going to go to Luke chapter 3 uh, as we read about John the Baptist and his ministry. As we know, he was given the task of preparing the way for the king, for Jesus to come. And so as we read what he had to say, I, I think you're going to notice uh, when the question is asked, what do we do? When the crowds ask Jesus, what do we do, uh, ask John, I want you to think through as he answers the question and just give me what's the common denominator. Uh, and so that's the question I'm going to ask as, as we read this together. And so uh, let's stand as we read uh, Luke chapter 3. Where we're going to begin with verse 7. He's preparing the way, as you see in verse 4 and 5, that's his ministry. Verse 7, because that's his ministry, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. <laughs> He's not very seeker friendly, is he? Uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. You may be seated. So, let me ask you the question... What's the one thing in common? When the crowds asked John, what should we do bearing fruits that are according to repentance? What's the thing in common? 
Anyone? Go ahead, speak up. Anything in common? On the side, anything? I know, this is against your grain to talk up, speak up, it's okay. All right, money. Isn't that interesting? The thing in common, all is connected with material resources. Money. So, uh, think again. What's his job? He's preparing the way for Jesus. You see that in verses 4 and 5 and 6. And, and so this is, uh, you know, we don't always do this today, but uh, back then, roads were ruts that people just constantly uh, went down, and so they became more and more deep ruts, uh, hardened dirt. Uh, and so when a king, a really uh, notably, notable king of, of statue came through, then, you know, that was just not right for the king to have to be bumping up and down and all these things. And so people would go the way, preparing the way, putting resources to straighten out the path for them to come. And so John the Baptist is, is doing this job of, let me prepare the way for Jesus to come to make his announcement, his proclamation, his ministry better, more effective. And so he talked about money. Interesting, don't you think? He talked about money. We see this today in, in some ways where, you know, we got a hearse coming through, or we got a funeral procession, you got the, the, the patrolmen out, you got the stoplights all uh, blocked off intersection. We're going to make the way for Jesus to come in. And so I'm just going to present to you that from what the Word of God is saying, that maybe our attitudes with money can be a hindrance to the work of Jesus in our life. I'm just going to throw that out there. And so as we talk about stewardship, we talk about generosity, I want you to to understand that I'm not just talking about giving to the church. My my goal here, I think is the goal of the Word of God, is that we're talking about an attitude of heart that goes with you wherever you go. Now I would would encourage you, give to where you worship, that this church might minister. But this is much more, and if you have problems with giving to this church, okay, but give and be generous. All right? And so I, I, I want to throw that out there as we go, that this is not just a, you know, let's increase our giving to the church. This is much more about the attitude of our heart and concerning money because it was the focus of John the Baptist's ministry that when Luke summed it up, he talked about money. In fact, there's two things that he was really addressing that we know of. He addressed money and he addressed sex. And which one did he get killed over? Well, about the issue of freedom of sexual expression. And he said, there isn't the same freedom in society that God is saying. And the rulers of B did not like it and killed him eventually over that. So, interesting enough, that's where we're going to get in trouble, isn't it? When we talk about these two areas. Uh, And so, uh, John was right in the crux of the matter, and I believe he still is uh, today. So... Let me say that uh, when he's practicing baptism, is a baptism expecting things to come, expecting Jesus to come. When we get baptized, we look back at what Jesus has come. And so there's a little bit of difference here. But, you know, it was just a few weeks ago, uh, the first uh, uh, year, uh, first, uh, as we made the transition to the new year, we talked about 
baptism. We talked about the Jordan River. We talked about transitions. And so here, Jesus is here. Eventually, uh, eventually, John the Baptist is here now in the Jordan area. Talk about transitions. And he's saying, look, we need a transition from our way of thinking into the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God. And so let's go through the river. Let's identify. Let's repent. Let's say there's a cleansing that's taken place. So uh, first, I would say that generosity flows from a Christ-dependent heart. Generosity flows from Christ-dependent hearts. Let me explain to you from the text where that idea comes from. You notice how he approaches them, the people that are coming in verse 7 and 8. He says, yeah, these are crowds. They want to be baptized. These are the ones that, they're not just scoffing. They, they want to be baptized, but yet John sees what's going on in their life, that this looks like another public thing to boost up their public credentials of being a follower of God, but they were not practicing repentance. And so John calls them out. He says, you're a brood of viper. This has a lot of Old Testament image uh, of the serpent. Uh, and he says, you're following him. Uh, then he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. All right, so he says, you need to repent. And this show of repentance isn't necessarily the fruit in keeping of repentance. And so he goes on and explains uh, what does repentance look like. He said, then he starts talking about Abraham as a father. Basically what's going on is that they were um, feeling lofty and proud because they were Jews of the sons of Abraham. Therefore they felt special before God and their confidence was their genealogy. Their confidence was their heritage, their ethnicity and John is calling him out and said, that's not what God's looking for anymore. And so there must be a change. Your root is wrong. When we talk about repentance, we're not just talking about behavior change. We're talking about heart change. Uh, behavior change begins with the heart. And so there, he picks out an Old Testament image of a root and a, and a tree being cut down. But it also speaks to what repentance is. It is our change of root. The change of root. What is your root system? Well, your root system will be displayed by your fruit, by your behavior, by your speech, uh, what you get defensive about, what you get excited about. They all, your emotions reveal your root. And so God is saying through John, there needs to be a change of root. There needs to be a change of heart dependency. Uh, up to this point, you've been dependent on things other than God. So what is he saying? God has an axe. And he's about, verse 9, he's about to lay to the root of the tree. He is about to cut this off. He says, you know, God is able to raise up sons from stones. And so he uses a, an Aramaic play of words to bring out a point that God can create children anywhere. It doesn't have to be just a Jew. And so then he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Have a change of root system. And so the crowds ask, okay. We want that, but what does that mean we do? And he starts off by saying, well, if you've got extra tunics, tunics was a, a, a garment that they would wear close to the skin that would be underneath their cloaks. He says, you got more than one of those? You've got excess? Find someone that doesn't have it and share it with them. Uh, I, I think that at this point, he is uh, looking back to some Old Testament uh, passages. Uh, we see in Isaiah 58, verse 6 and eight, through 6 through 8. The prophet says, is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? He's, he's bringing out Old Testament images. He says, uh, this is something that God has always looked for his people to do. Micah 6, 8. 
What has the Lord required of you, O man? But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. He says, look, there is a part of this that you find people who need, if you've got excess, be the difference maker. Share your tunic, your clothing. Then he goes on, he says, if someone doesn't have food, share with them also. And then the tax collectors come in. Now the tax collectors, uh, well, they were not liked. They were kind of like a, a toll collector uh, on various routes, and they were in agreement with the Roman government that took over the area of Israel. And so not only did they uh, conspire with the Roman authorities, then they agreed to get, a, get certain rage, wages, and then they would charge above what they were authorized to do, and they would line their pockets with it. So no one really liked them. But here the tax collectors are coming also. And he says, we want to be baptized. What shall we do? And he says, well, I'll tell you what. Be honest about your wages. Be honest about the fees. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Again, talking about money. You see, there's really two attitudes with, with this when he talks about money. There is the love of money or there's the love of people and the love of God. And what Jesus is bringing later on, we'll see, is that these two ideals really do not coexist together. They are at heart contradiction. And so with money, you will either love it and use people. Or you will love God and love people and let the money be used for the people. And so generosity is saying that I love God and I love people more than money. Being stingy is saying, well, I really love people or I love money more than people. And so I will gladly align my pockets at the expense of and needs of other people. And so John's speaking right to the heart of this in, with the tax collector. So generosity flows from Christ-dependent hearts, that there's a change in the root. But generosity also flows from Christ-obedient hearts. Christ-obedient hearts. And so he's saying to the tax collector, there's got to be change in how you do it. Remember, this is all with the idea of we've got to follow the king's road. We are preparing a way for the king. And so we're not trying to get the king to fit into our road. To get him going with us. But we are the ones to adjust and to accommodate. I, uh, many of you know Finney Matthews. He's with Alpha International Ministry. He's come to our church. He lead, helps lead us in some of our ministries to India. And we do work over there. And so when, when I travel with them, Finney has a certain standard of travel. Um, he, he has a lot of rewards and stuff from traveling. And, and so when he has groups come, he wants them to um, come again someday. So he puts them up in really nice hotels uh, in India. Um, and he, he tries to make it comfortable uh, with them. Well, the last time I went with him, I had him go with me to visit with Chad and Amanda uh, in, in uh, the Middle East. And so we went there, and it was interesting watching Finney, um, who now was having to carry his own luggage everywhere. And we were cramped in a train uh, in Egypt, and it stunk, uh, and it was hot, and it was crowded. And then we went into this hotel, which, I don't know, was a safe one, and this little, little town in Egypt. Um, yeah, it wasn't nice. 
Uh, it was funny watching Finney trying to tiptoe around. He didn't want to put his feet on the on the floors, and, and I mean, it's just you know we we slept on top of the on top of the sheets and top of the covers, and and I, I was I guess I was Finney's host, you know, and uh, I was just like Finney, man, I, you know I I know this is different for you, but we're 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 doing this cheap now, you know, we're 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 on my pocket, and we're not we're not in the five star hotel in India anymore. Welcome to Egypt, you know, and and, and it's just. Uh, and he's like, he was all gracious about it. He was like, oh, this is how I grew up. It's okay. Um, but, you know, sometimes we, we think that having Jesus with us means that we're going to have this king, and he's going to go our way, and we're going to make our plan, and we're going to have these decisions made, and we're going to do it according to this timetable, and we're going to make sure that it's done according to these certain desires being satisfied, and we're asking Jesus to come along for the ride. Listen, that doesn't work. What he's saying here is the king has a road and he's preparing the way for the king to go. And it is our job to adjust to the king and we will go along with him down the patterns he chooses according to his timetable, according to his destination. You see, generosity flows from Christ's obedient hearts. When the people are coming for baptism, what they're saying is that we are going to follow a new way. And John the Baptist is saying, this is what this way looks like. It looks like tax collectors don't charge more than is necessary. For the crowds, it looks like sharing your tunics. It looks like sharing your garments, your food, because we are obedient to the one that's coming, Christ. We keep on reading, though, we see that generosity not only flows from Christ's obedient hearts, not only does it flow from Christ-dependent hearts, but we're going to find that it flows from Christ-identified hearts. In other words, a heart that says, I want to identify with Jesus Christ, and that was a big part of the baptism. What was interesting about what John the Baptist did is that baptism was usually used at that time for Gentiles. If a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, then they would go through this ritual of baptism, and it was saying that I now identify with Jews. And so when John the Baptist is doing it to the Jews and saying, you need to be baptized, what he's saying is, you can't trust in your ethnicity, you've got to be identified by more than your background. You've got to be identified with God and his kingdom, his role. And right now you don't. So be baptized to show that your identity is changing. So when the tax collectors come, uh, it was somewhat of awakening for the rest of the crowd. You remember he's saying that he's going to make make straight the paths every valley will be filled people who are depressed will be filled those every mountain and hill shall be made low those who are exalted feeling exalted maybe the tax collector is feeling wealthy and they're realizing that the pharisees the good jews the moral jews the tax collectors the roman uh, officials they all come at an equal footing and say they all need to be baptized and every path is made straight and so the tax collector is realizing that he has access now because of what John the Baptist is offering, and his identity is no longer in his money, in his job, his profession, but in Jesus Christ, the one that will be coming. Interesting, when Jesus did come, he interacted with the tax collectors. We see one of the stories uh, in Luke chapter 16, uh, where Jesus meets up with Zacchaeus. Uh, and, and that passage, uh, it's interesting to see the reaction that, that Zacchaeus gives, uh, Luke 19 rather, uh, when Jesus is there with Zacchaeus, he encounters him, sees the graciousness of God. But Zacchaeus has this reaction in verse 
8 of chapter 19, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. All right, so he says, I'm going to give away half all that I own. That's going to give to those who need it. And all that I have remaining, I'm going to make sure I make right those who are wronged up to fourfold. When that happened, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Interesting. When Jesus saw the repentance make its way into the pocketbook of Zacchaeus, he knew that Zacchaeus' heart had been touched and that now the kingdom of God is making his way known in Zacchaeus' life. So it wasn't the giving of the money that saved him. It was the work of God in his heart, but the working of the money gave evidence of God's work in his heart. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So gracious, our generosity isn't what saves us, but it gives evidence of Christ is in our life. And now he is our identity. And just think about that. You know, so what does your car say about you? That's the question all the commercials are asking. Because what's assumed is that your car says something about you. And what they're assuming is that you get your identity in your car. And you multiply that times what any position, possession you want. They even do that with pins, watches, your hair, your eyes, your glasses, your clothing, your, you know, that everything has now, this is where your identity is found. Listen, if it's something you can lose, it is not proper for it to be your identity if it's something you can lose then it is never meant for an eternal soul to find identity in it and you're abusing your soul so here these tax collectors these uh these soldiers uh in their jobs now are finding a new identity in jesus christ are and the one to come through baptism so a christ identified soul, a heart, is one that has generosity flowing from it because now their identity is not what they have in their bank accounts or the clothing they have. Their identity is found in the one to come, in the kingdom coming. Now we keep on reading. We're going to see that generosity also flows from Christ's expectant hearts. Christ's expectant heart. John keeps preaching here, and, and he says, uh, we, we come to the soldiers, and the soldiers said, what shall we do? And it's interesting, just a little side note, he never tells, John doesn't tell the soldiers, stop soldiering. He never tells the tax collectors, stop tax collecting. He says, just do it right. Do it honestly. Do it mercifully. I would say that is a note to our people today, that in whatever profession you're in, uh, that there is this idea of do it right. Do it honestly, do it fairly, do it mercifully. Policemen, keep policing. Soldiers, keep soldiering. But do it with a new king in mind. So he gives them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. And then verse 15, as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And John simply saying, no. The one to come... I'm not even worthy to be his servant. I'm not even worthy to tie or untie his sandals. The one that's coming is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So let me just say this. That generosity also flows from Christ's expectant hearts. Christ's expectant hearts will allow for the fruit 
of generosity. So what does that look like? It looks like, you know what? My payday isn't when I retire and see what I can live off the interest of all that I saved. That's not my payday. My payday isn't when I get this new home, new car, new whatever, second home, new boat, whatever. That's not the payday. In fact, there I'm expecting something else. In fact, I'm expecting all those things that which our world lives for to go away and be done with. I'm living for something beyond the government of the United States. I'm living for something beyond the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm looking for something beyond retirement. I'm looking for something beyond my funeral. I'm expecting Christ to reign. And he's going to come. And he's going to baptize me with fire and the Holy Spirit. A purifying aspect and the Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out and to make me into his child. I don't, I don't know exactly what it's going to be from now until I die. But one thing I do know, that when I see God, I will be like him, for I shall see him as he is. What manner of love has been given to me? Let me live for that expectation. Let me long for that. The generosity will flow from those who have hearts expectant on Christ. Can you imagine what Christ is going to do with us? I had a, a, one of our members ask me uh, from their family, do you think we'll know one another in heaven? Um, and, you know, I think, well, you know, Jesus tells the story of rich men and Lazarus. They seem to have recognition even though they were in two different places. Uh, Peter, James, John recognized Elijah and Moses with Jesus at Mount Transfiguration, though they'd never seen him before. There was some ability uh, that God had given them to recognize who they were. I, I don't think that we're going to be uh, any more dumb in heaven than we are here. Um, I, 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 That's that just some of the things I hold on to. But, but, you know, we have five senses now. What if God gave us ten senses in eternity what if the translation from a human body to one that fits for eternity is multi-sense to a thousand senses you just i just want to blow your mind for a little bit of what life can be will be with christ reigning in his kingdom just a little bit. And just to think that maybe you blew your eternal soul on the things that your five senses could enjoy for 80 years if you're strong. And you traded it. You traded it for eternity with the king, not even realizing what that meant. Let me just... This is the, this is the intro, all right? There's more to come, just like John the Baptist is introing this idea. What does it mean to pursue Jesus as king? And he talked about money. And he talked about generosity. And he talked about not being a stingy person and a dishonest person. Generosity flows from Christ-dependent hearts, from Christ-obedient hearts, from Christ-identified hearts, and then from Christ-expectant hearts. I, uh, I was blessed with a grandfather, grandparents that love the Lord, um, but one of my, my granddads, um, I was especially close to, um, 
he, uh, he was just a, a, an ability, had ability to, to earn money. Um, he never had a glamorous job. Um, he worked with the, the pro e, uh department for years and power company before that. And farm, you know, county culture extension agent. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of his, his line. But he was extremely frugal. I mean, he was the kind of guy that you would have these nice cars and he put plastic mats on the floors for the entirety that he owned the car. <laughs> There's a point where it's like, Granddad, why don't you just enjoy the car, you know? You don't have to be sitting on plastic, you know? Uh, but that was just kind of his, his way. Um, he was also very, uh, very much of a giver. Um, he, would, he would just give amazing gifts to people, uh, most of which I didn't know about. I knew about the ones that came my way, and it just blew my socks off. Um, after he died, I would hear stories of other people coming to me and talking to me and telling me how they got blessed with various gifts, and they knew it was him. Watching how Granddad uh, passed, he, he was in his early 80s. Um, Grandma died um, 99. He died in 2005. Uh, so there's about uh, six years where he was just on his own and went into depression a little bit and uh, went into assisted living. Assisted living, if you don't know, basically is a system where they drain your nest egg entirely to the point where once it's all done, okay, bam, we'll put you on Medicare and you know, but until that time, how much you own? Great. We'll take out to the tune of about $4,500 a month for you to live at this assisted living and take care of, you know, there's not just a place to live. But I watched this and I watched granddad and all that he saved and all that he worked and realized, I don't think none of us really knew that all that he was saving for was going to pay for the last few years of his life. And so, of course, when he died, you don't really have any of it left. And here's the thing that struck me. All that granddad worked for, all that he saved, his discipline, his frugality, the only thing that granddad ever really got to keep was what he gave away. what he gave away. And what's so neat about this, as we read in the Word of God, he still has those possessions that he gave. Because they transferred into eternal riches. And we have a great opportunity with whatever time we have to earn the resources of a dying economic system. And for a short window, we can take as much of these resources of a dying economic system and transfer them into a different account that will go on beyond our life. That will have an eternal investment interest That is unlike anything here. And when you die, you lose everything you keep. 
and you keep everything you give. Jesus said that a lot though, didn't he? Whoever would be the first will be the last, last will be first. Anyone who wants to have a life must lose their life. Take up your cross and follow me. What John the Baptist was bringing to our attention is if it doesn't hit our pocket, it hasn't hit our heart. And that's how you know whether it hits our heart. Let's pray.